Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast, sponsored by Never Too Late Cafe. I'm Laura Womack, your host. And today I have a special guest, Eric Lovett. And hi, Eric, and welcome to Never Too Late Cafe, Bloom Where You're Planted. So tell us, where are you currently living? Laura, I am living in uh, the southern portion of Texas in a town called Victoria. It's about halfway between Houston and San Antonio. All right. Well, when I um, tend to ask people where they're from originally, that might be a very big question for you. So where are all the places that you claim to have lived? I mean, that you've lived. I meant where you've lived. <laughs> um, I, I I may claim a few others, but um, that, I, that didn't uh, come out right. <laughs> I lived in about seven different states before the age of eight, and uh, moved to moved to Italy even before the age of eight. So uh, I've lived uh, lived in the states for seven years, Italy for four, back to the states for one, France for seven back to the States for a good while, and then over to Germany for five years, much later in life. And then a few more states uh, when I came back after after that. And here I am in Texas after about 40 to maybe 45 moves. 45 moves? If I count uh, all the small ones, it's probably more than that. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. Well, maybe it was a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a loaded answer too. <laughs> so um, I should sort of go back and say that as a disclaimer, you are my nephew, my very talented nephew, Eric. So uh, tell us a little bit about your art form. Well, I uh, I like to design uh, electric guitars and. Uh, basses and other electric stringed instruments. I started when I was very young because I've been passionate about guitar since uh, I was an early teenager. So I started when I was about 15, 16 and designing my own uh, unique instruments. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. So back to string instruments. Can you explain a little bit about what that means versus just guitars? Yes. Uh, typically, uh, a guitar is recognized as a six-stringed instrument. Uh, so when people think guitar, there's a kind of a locked-in definition for it. And it's kind of the same for bass guitars because there's a a preconception that they have a certain number of strings and uh, certain specifications that are kind of uh, uniform. But I also design instruments that don't fit in those standard definitions. So um, if I use the term guitar, uh, I have to be a lot more descriptive with what type of guitar it is. So it's uh, easier for me to use the term stringed instruments to just kind of broaden the spectrum of the instruments that I design. They may look like guitars to an untrained user, but to a, a traditional guitar player, uh, there's a lot of head scratching when they see what I do. So how many What's the most strings one of yours has had? 
I actually did one that had 11. I had a very interesting customer who already had a 10 string guitar that I had designed for another company. And he wanted to move up to 11. Uh, I don't know if that was a spinal tap reference or what, where these go to 11, but um, he had a very interesting tuning too. Uh, so I was able to create an instrument for him that, um, uh, that afforded him some more voicing options that he didn't already have. And uh, so, yeah, 11 is the most I've done. So then in seeing your designs, the, the, the neck is different. Yes. And yeah. Uh, many, uh, many of the instruments uh, are, <laughs> they're very unique. Uh, I have had some standard specifications, but most of the guitars and instruments that uh, I've built through my company have had uh, kind of unique specifications. Uh, the scale length, which is the length from, the, from either end of the string, has been different on a lot of them. Uh, and the more strings you add, obviously, the wider the neck gets to accommodate them. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of numbers involved. Well, and where you tune them at the end. Mm -hmm. I like to do things a little differently there too. <laughs> yeah, but does it look the same as, you know, the little things you twist? Pardon me for my lack of knowledge of guitar tuning, but I know it, they look different. Yes. Uh, a standard guitar uh, has what they call a headstock. So at the end of the neck, there's a, a piece of wood that has tuning machines where the end of the string is wound and tightened. Uh, but uh, I also like to do what we call headless. So at the end of the, the neck, the strings are actually locked and cut off and they are tuned at the other end with bridges uh, that take the ball end of the string and just pull it straight to make it tighter. Instead of winding it around a peg, it pulls the string to make it tight and it's a lot more precise and it makes the instrument more compact, lighter and balances better on the player. Well, that must have taken a lot of thought to come up with that one. So is that done sometimes in other st string instruments that people might do is to change the way that's when the head looks different? Yes, or is actually that unique my no, it's, it's not unique to me. In fact, my inspiration was from a gentleman called Ned Steinberger, who started this concept as far back as uh, maybe about 1980 uh, with uh, the first headless instruments. <clears throat> uh, though I believe I've discovered recently that uh, the Fender Guitar Corporation made a headless prototype a long time ago maybe in the 70s, but uh, the person to popularize it was Ned Steinberger. He had a company called Steinberger. Uh, I don't think he added guitars. He just called it Steinberger. And not only did he have unique hardware where the, there was no head on the guitar and the, the bridge had tuners in it that allowed you to pull the string, but he also made his instruments uh, in materials other than wood. So he would use carbon composites uh, for the, the body and the fingerboard portion would be a, uh, a type of resin. Uh, I'm hoping to someday be able to use materials like that, but I still like the, um, 
the sound that I get from using wood. So he was my primary inspiration. And uh, I, I will add, though, that uh, the small success that I've had has afforded me the opportunity to meet him and, and uh, just uh, talk very briefly with him uh, about what I do. And uh, I got my picture taken with him, and it was very much a highlight of my life. Wow. So he's in the States? Yes, he's based in New York. Oh, okay. So, Wood, when you look at your designs on your page, which, by the way, your company name is? Zen Stringed Instruments. X-E-N. X-E-N, yes. Yes. Um, The Woods, describe the Woods for us, because that in itself is very unique as well. The combinations and the type. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, there's a lot of debate in the uh, music instrument world as to uh, the different uh, tones that you might hear with different types of woods. And some people are saying that there's no merit to it. Uh, but I personally have experienced quite a difference in, in tones between types of woods and types of shapes. So, um, I have, I have personal preferences and so do many other players. So uh, typically uh, the, way, uh, the way my guitars are built is there will be a core, what we call body wood that will compose most of the, the bulk of the body. And then there will also be a different thinner wood for the top, which is typically decorative but depending on the type of wood used for the top, it can actually slightly alter the overall tone. And then um, different woods for the neck uh, and the fingerboards as well. So I have, uh, I have an affinity for walnut for a body wood because it, uh, uh, it sounds how it looks. It's, it's dark and uh, very, very pretty. There's a lot of natural figuring to it and uh, and it's almost like that look translates into the sound. And then uh, for tops, uh, a lot of the times uh, I'll either use um, a figured maple, but my personal preference has been ebony uh, because it's a very hardwood, but uh, uh, my favorite is Makassar ebony. And it has a it's not, it's not all black. It has a lot of figuring to it. So there's, there's blacks and shades of browns uh, that are mixed into it. So top, topping uh, a dark walnut body with a near black ebony is just a, a beautiful combination. And it sounds incredible to my ears. And uh, a lot of times the necks are made of maple because it's, uh, it's widely recognized as one of the hardest, most rigid, uh, reliable woods for necks. And uh, fingerboards, uh, all kinds of different stuff. I have I, I've used uh, one of my favorite is zebra wood, and it looks just like it sounds. It's striped naturally and very beautiful, and feels very good under the fingers. So, um, your the way someone would find you to have one built because it's obviously very custom. They can pick the woods. Um, the design, because you have multiple designs and they all have names. That's so, um, how did you come up with the different designs? I mean, there's, you know, there's an array. It's not just your standard shape. So. 
Well, uh, I, like I said, I started designing when I was maybe 15, 16. And uh, based on some of the direction that I wanted to take with my own playing, um, I started designing the body shapes around how they would best fit the, the way that I would configure the neck. And it influenced where all the curves ended up going. And uh, it influenced the overall shape. And I also considered what it would take to balance the instrument properly because some traditional guitars that uh, have just little curves that come out of the neck, but really down into the neck, if the neck sticks out too far, it has a tendency to weigh the instrument down if the strap point is really far away from the end. Well, I put the strap point a whole lot closer to the middle of the neck. And so the weight of the neck is carried at the strap point that influence that design. And so when you put on one of my instruments, you don't have to worry about mm, putting it uh, up in its place. It just sits there like it's supposed to. And uh, so that influenced um, the shapes over the years. And um, I've just perfected them again and again and again until I was satisfied enough with them to uh, show them to the general public. And uh, and offer them up for sale. And so, um, but I, I've done, uh, I, I don't even know how many instruments I've designed over the years, maybe uh, 80 to 100 different types of, of shapes and designs, but I have, uh, I have a core set of about 15 to 20 that I am extremely pleased with. So um, there was a contest that, can you give us the describe for us a little more about that contest? Um, yes, it was for the Fellowship of European Luthiers, um, and it was an international design contest that was uh, published for anyone who wanted to just submit a, a design of a guitar. And um, so I submitted five designs. Um, where we could submit as many as we wanted. And um, mine ended up coming in at uh, third place internationally. But uh, at what least two of my designs, right? At least two of my designs were in the magazine. And uh, one in particular was right in the very uh, it, front there. Right, right in the front page. And, and then one of them was used uh, as the cover design for the the story. Let's see if I can find that. There's right there the the cover design. Amazing, the guitar the of your dreams. Yep, and uh, and so it was it was very well received. I had uh, I had a lot of people reach out to me even after the con after the contest and say that uh, I should have won because my designs were ready for production, whereas others were just concepts that really could not be delivered to production without some polish. Mm. And my designs were polished and ready to just be handed to somebody to be built. Had you built any at that point? Uh, I had built a few guitars, but not those particular designs. I mm -hmm. submitted designs that I uh, had waiting in the wings uh, for a little bit uh, and that I was still working on. 
I didn't want any of the designs that I had already done with my uh, with Zen uh, to be part of that contest. Mm-hmm. I wanted to I wanted them to kind of stand alone. And I wasn't also trying to use it as an advertisement. <laughs> well, that's probably good because they might have stayed away from some commercial yep. efforts. So um, then the process of having them built, it's not one, it's not like a factory and the whole thing is done there. Um, how did you find the people that have done different parts of it? Because I know they're not local to you. And I think originally you were in the DC area when you started Zen and, um, Mm -hmm. but can you tell us a little bit more about how you find your people to do the actual manufacturer, the making of the product? Sure thing. Uh, I was uh, active in an online community called uh, seven string guitar. Uh, It's uh, for people who like to play guitars with more than six strings. And uh, I've been playing guitars with more than six strings for uh, 32 years now. So uh, it was kind of a good fit for me. Uh, and on that uh, forum, I, I met a lot of people who were excited about the same things I was excited with and had and made some good connections. And I, uh, I met someone there who was building some of the kinds of instruments that I was hoping to eventually be able to release myself and started discussing things with him. And I helped him build a, uh, an attractive website. And we decided to partner up on what we called a limited run to give uh, a design that we worked on together an opportunity for exposure. And um, so just on this one website, we decided to kind of put something out there and, and see if anybody wanted to buy into the limited run. Uh, typically limited runs can maybe, uh, for a new builder, maybe about eight to 10 guitars. Um, we sold 24 on the first run. And uh, that let us know that we were on to something. Uh, so as things progressed and uh, people wanted more, uh, especially overseas players, I started connecting with more builders throughout that online community uh, some international and, uh, some, uh, uh, also outside of North, uh, outside of the continental United States, I met some people in Canada as well. So I ended up, uh, partnering up with, uh, a builder in Australia, one in Italy, uh, one in uh, the UK and, uh, two in Canada and uh, also a couple more in the, uh, in the U S. So I've worked with, uh, so far, a total of eight different builders, but I've had a very good relationship with uh, three or four of those that has lasted for uh, a long time now. And so that's, that's how that started. I, I was in an online community and just met people that way through social media. Wow. Well, you know, your website for Zen, people should really visit that because not only do you have finished product, but you have sketches of some of your designs. And that is such an interesting thing to see it go from the black and white sketch pad to a finished product and, and all the different uh, array of woods and combinations of woods. That's so incredible. Um, so, well, this podcast is called Bloom Where You're Planted. And I always ask, what does that 
quote mean to you? Well, it means a lot to me because uh, when I was really trying to figure out where to go uh, in life uh, and what to, uh, what to do, I had spent a lot of time praying about it. And um, I was uh, sitting in church one day, just paying attention to the message. And I just really felt in my heart, uh, uh, God telling me, bloom where you planted. Uh, he used those words specifically, and I understood it as meaning uh, take advantage of where you are, use the talents that you have where you are uh, with the people that you know, and do do what you can with what you have now. And I understood it also as his way of uh, giving me an opportunity to build me up from there, because uh, if I allowed my roots to grow deep, then the blooming would be a lot more successful and it would be a lot more, it would open doors to me, doors of opportunity that would allow me to bloom. And it has, it has. Uh, I, I was given an opportunity after that to get back into playing guitar for a church. And I've been playing there now for almost three years and uh, some very good things are happening there. So I listened and uh, it has meant a lot to me. Those are wonderful, powerful words. Um, and what form of your, your sound um, it's not folk. What would you describe the type of music that is your preference to play? Well, uh, it's uh, it's funny because the listen the stuff that I listen to uh, can be uh, can come across as very aggressive heavy metal, but uh, when I play, it's it's very different because I've uh, I, I like sounds that are very atmospheric that uh, create um, a mood and um, have an emotion attached to them. So when I'm playing mostly for myself or at church, I, I try to set an atmosphere and it's kind of hard to describe that in a genre uh, like rock, pop, ambient or whatever. A lot of people don't even know what those mean because they can mean anything. But um, ambient's I, mood, right? So it could be anybody's right. mood. <laughs> it, it can be anybody's mood. That That's right. Uh, I I refer it back to my old hero, uh, Eddie Van Halen, who would say, I play what I want to hear. Mm. And then he added, uh, and it's nice if other people like it too. <laughs> but his attitude was he didn't care if we did or not. Because yeah. <laughs> he was going to play it. <laughs> so. so the words of wisdom that you could offer someone that has wants to do what you do, what would you say to them? If uh, somebody wanted to do specifically what I'm doing, um, consider it carefully. The first uh, the advice that I would give is don't. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket. When you're trying to get involved in something like this, that is a very uh, niche uh, type of uh, field, you you should not count on it to be your sole uh, breadwinner. Mm -hmm. You should always mm -hmm. pursue the talents that you have to, uh, to build a career 
that allows you to uh, fund your passion in your off time. The hope and the dream is that you can turn that passion into your main moneymaker, but you should also never turn it into something that becomes so much uh, of a tedious job that you lose your passion and excitement for it. So what's helped me is to have a steady career that uh, has a lot of uh, reliability and uh, good, strong benefits that affords me the opportunity to do these other things in my uh, spare time and keeps that passion alive because it's something to look forward to. And uh, it hasn't turned into so much work that I'm tearing my hair out trying to pay my bills uh, by doing something that should actually be making me happy. Mm. Um, also, talk to people, get advice, uh, don't be proud. Uh, always be humble and be ready to listen because somebody out there knows more than you do. And uh, they're uh, the ones that really know the most are going to be willing to share it. So just be nice and humble and uh, seek uh, mentorship, unofficial or official. Mm. So Very help. good words. So, I now call words of wisdom. Wow. Because that's what it offers someone, some <laughs> words of wisdom. So then what do you think is next for Eric Lovett? Well, um, uh, in the, in the area of Zen, uh, Zen has been, um, uh, on a bit of a hiatus for a little bit. So what's next for that is, uh, Eric is going to uh, rebuild a solid business plan and uh, resurrect Zen and um, build it up with, uh, with the support of uh, family and friends and uh, the, the community that I already have good relationships with and uh, take it slowly and surely and just to re, uh, reinvigorate that passion. For Eric personally, I'm uh, continuing to develop my career uh, moving, uh, moving up as, uh, into new areas and, uh, new, uh, responsibilities. Uh, I'm also looking at taking on a leadership role at my church and, uh, and I'm in a very good relationship right now that, uh, is headed in a very positive direction. So there are good things happening for Eric. Eric also has, uh, little kids. Uh, give them a lot to do. Uh, so uh, they do they do? So, <laughs> yes. Well, um, our time is about to come to a close, and so I want to thank you, Eric, for being a guest today. It's been really wonderful to hear all that you do with Zen, and I'll make sure that everyone gets um, your some pictures and your links to find you and what you've done. So it's been wonderful hearing from you today. So thanks everyone for joining us on uh, Never Too Late Cafe, Bloom Where You're Planted podcast. And uh, I'm Laura Womack and I'm saying bye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>